So good morning, everyone. I'm Aaron Copeland. Uh, so there's a sheet on your table uh, I want to grab. I'm going to do a little draw here. I don't do PowerPoint, uh, so I know a few of you are past clients in here, and also uh, people come to us some of our training classes. We do a lot of training on Agile and leadership and things like that. Uh, we also do coaching consulting and help people with Agile transformations. And uh, So today, talking a bit about leadership and uh, employee engagement. So uh, like I said, I don't really do PowerPoint on uh, these kinds of things, so I, I love to do training and like more interactive kind of things, and so uh, we'll give you a little break from PowerPoint. Uh, but, you know, it's been a while since I've done this in person, so I appreciate the fact that there's a camera back there. I feel at home now, so I a camera on me. So. Uh, anyways, so we're going to talk about uh, employee engagements and leadership behaviors. Uh, so this kind of looks like the thing on your uh, page there. And I'm going to fill this in with me as I go. I'll grab a chair, Perch. And so... This is a, a little snippet of uh, one of our leadership classes, and we're just sort of add some things to it. But uh, I want to talk first about the history of management and leadership, where, where this sort of come from to now. Just get a little context to what we're going to talk about uh, with employee engagement. Let me straighten this out a little bit. There we go. All right. So uh, management, where did it come from? So when we think about modern management today that we see in most large companies, uh, we think about it starting around the 1900s. Uh, and so this is uh, basically industrial revolution uh, when management first started bringing people off of fields and farms into factories in big cities and working together. And the opportunity here for people uh, was to come in and basically be part of a, a larger organization and the need for management started to arise to help them know what to do. And so uh, management in that case, we call this management 1.0 around the 1900s, our scale here. And the vertical axis in this diagram, uh, speed and complexity of work. So back then, it was pretty straightforward stuff, putting things together. Uh, an example I usually use here is like working in a steel build. And so you've got people coming in. Uh, they're shoveling coal into a blast furnace. And the role of management was to make sure things are going well. People are showing up and, and doing the tasks they're supposed to do uh, to get the work done. And so we call this management 1.0. And uh, when we think about this, oftentimes we associate this with a guy named Frederick Taylor. Anyone in here named Frederick Taylor? <laughs> I had that once, and it was awkward. But um, So Frederick Taylor uh, from the 1900s. Uh, so very popular for a book called Scientific Management. Uh, anyone read this book or heard of it? Heard of Frederick Taylor? A couple of us. All right. So um, Frederick Taylor, the book Scientific Management, what he was basically trying to do is apply a lot of uh, measurement and uh, scientific thinking to this work. And so we call this Taylorism. And the focus here is a lot on measurement. When we talk about measurement, it's often measurement of inputs. So for example, you're shoveling coal into a blast furnace. What we're measuring then is get a stopwatch out and measure how many shovels of coal can you do in 10 minutes. We do the math and figure out how much you should do every day. And there's a baseline, right? Now we have performance management. And that's where a lot of the performance management things that we work from today originated, right? From manual labor. And so this idea of measurements and holding people accountable for those measures. The other thing here we often think about here is the idea of control. So command and control kind of behaviors. Very directive kind of management, uh, a lot of micromanagement that we think about today. It's the manager being right there with the employee, telling them exactly what to do, and if they do it wrong, they correct them, right? That kind of approach. This was revolutionary stuff back in those days, because before that, it was really ad hoc, right? Things were just sort of happening, not a lot of direction, uh, not a lot of consistency. And so a lot of what Frederick Taylor brought to the table was process, consistency, uh, measurement to make sure we're doing things uh, at a certain level right, of productivity. And so 
really revolutionary stuff, but maybe not great, right? As we move forward here in time uh, to the 1950s and things start to get faster, right? The work starts to increase in terms of complexity, things are moving faster. And so as we go up this curve, uh, post-World War II, what we're thinking about here is more about the lean movement. So who's heard of lean before? Lots of us probably, lots, oh, almost everyone, awesome, all right. So lots of thinking here, this, you know, commonly we've talked about Toyota, uh, post-World War II, uh, Deming, things like that. And so in this world of work, what we're thinking about here is a focus on people being able to do their job at their stations. So think about like an assembly line, uh, and people are uh, working on their part of building a car, for example. Like there's someone that's putting on the steering wheel, someone putting on doors, and they specialize in that piece of the work. And so the role of the manager can shift a little bit now because those people have become more educated. They're not just fresh out of uh, farms, coming into factories. Now they've got a couple generations of doing this kind of stuff. And so the role of manager shifts a little bit from direct command and control and telling people exactly what to do to say, hey, you put the doors on the car every day. You know exactly what to do. You know what good looks like coming from the previous station and they know what good looks like coming from you. And so there's a chain of events here. And so from a manager's standpoint, we can measure and manage things a little bit differently. Right. So instead of measuring inputs, that we usually do on this side, we're really measuring more about outputs, managing and measuring outputs. And so from each station, right, going from uh, step to step. And so from a lean perspective, what we're focused here is more on the quality, and it's really quality like from step to step, right? So we're doing a check from when it comes from the previous station to my station. We can check it right in some way to say, yep, it's good. I do my part, then I pass it on, and there's some quality checks along the way. Along with that, we're starting to build trust in the employee's ability to do their job because they do it every day. They know exactly what to do, probably for years, right? They probably know better than the manager of what things are supposed to look like, how things are supposed to happen, right? And so we're building trust in their capability to understand what to do, how to do it, uh, what good looks like, that kind of stuff. So the role of manager starts to shift here a bit from direct command and control to starting to trust the people a bit more to do their thing successfully. Great. Makes sense so far? All right, so next up here is things start continue to increase. We get more towards what we think about as the information age, a lot of uh, IT and technology, uh, of course, relevant for all of us. Uh, but as things start to get faster and faster, the idea back here is with a direct command and control, managers are really in charge of everything, right? Directing the work. As you get to lean, it's more about managing the outputs and the overall process, right? So we're able to step back a little bit from the day-to-day -day work and look at the bigger picture and make sure the cars are coming off the assembly line correctly, right? It's more about managing outputs from station to station, but also the overall picture. And so as we uh, increase here in, uh, or move forward in time and increase in the speed and complexity of work, it's hard for the manager to really have that insight and oversight of everything, right? There's so much going on and moving so fast. We've got to really start to rely on their, our people a bit differently than we had before. Not just to go station to station and do their piece of the puzzle, but to look at the whole picture because things are moving so fast. And so the idea of, of people having to wait for answers or wait for delays if there's a problem to escalate the problem up to management through the chain and back down and get answers Things are moving too fast to wait for that. So the role of management has to start to shift now to really not just trust those people, but to put them in charge of the work completely. And so the idea here, we think about this as the agile movement. And what we're looking at here is really uh, cross-functional. So not just one person at one station doing their thing, but looking at the bigger picture of all the work that has to go into building our product and delivering value uh, and do that in a cross-functional way with teams. 
So more of a team-based approach. So rather than managing individuals, we're trying to set teams up for success. Because things are moving so fast, we really need to rely on those teams to be able to do the job successfully end-to-end -end ideally. And this is where we get into a lot of ideas with Agile are about teamwork, right? Not just individuals saving the day. It's really about teamwork and collaboration being able to adapt to change over time. All right? So we go from managing inputs as a manager back here to outputs. And really from the Agile perspective, we're really focused more on outcomes. So it's not just did the car come off the assembly line, but in this world, it's did the customer like it, right? Was it the right car for them? Did it have the right features and things like that? And so really putting the teams in charge of that kind of concept rather than individuals or managers trying to uh, have insight of those things, it's really the people closest to the work need to be able to have the information and all the, the tools available to them. So the role of manager shifts in this, mo this world uh, to be more of an empowering servant leader that's trying to set the team up for success, not manage their work, not have to know every detail of what's going on, but to set them up for success. Create an environment where they can have all the information, all the tools, and break down barriers and, and solve problems for them in terms of things that are getting in their way. Make sense so far? All right, so we think about sort of the history of management, where we've come from, and where we are now. We're, we're living in this kind of world where things are getting faster and faster every day. Technology is uh, improving. Uh, speed of customer uh, requests are increasing, all that kind of stuff. So the, the response from management, really need to think about how do we uh, deal with that. It's usually we're thinking more towards the ideas and values and principles of Agile. Okay. So what does that mean for teams? So as we're trying to get better as managers and leaders in helping our teams be successful, uh, thinking about this typical curve we call the Tuckman model. People have probably seen this before, yeah? So a forming, storming, norming, performing model called the Tuckman curve. And so as we think about managers trying to help teams become better, we go through uh, some team building, right, and help these teams become more high-performing. And so first stage here in forming, uh, usually what we think about here is we're getting people together maybe for the first time. Maybe they haven't worked together before, maybe it's been a while, but as they get together, Usually what it looks like is they've sort of got their own agenda. They're all looking at their own world and where they come from and what they have going on for themselves. And so really the role uh, for the manager here, well, sorry, for these people uh, really trying to find their purpose here. Why are we together? What's this team about? Things like that. So we're forming the team. As we get together and start doing work, then uh, this shifts, the focus becomes more aligned, but it's really aligned internally. How do we find our place within this team? So the focus shifts from sort of doing my own thing, now I'm a part of a team, the team's formed, now we're trying to get work done, we're trying to find our place. What's my role within this group of people that we're calling a team? And that's when we go through some storming. People bump into each other, right? There might be role overlap or skill overlap, we're trying to figure out how to work together, right? So there's some storming that goes on. Uh, and so we start looking at each other, trying to figure out that place in the world. So as we get through that, hopefully successfully, through that storm, it could be a good thing, right? Because we do find our place. We try to figure out how to work together as a team, figure out uh, how to produce better, for product, uh, increase productivity, things like that. And as we come out of that uh, into the stage of norming, uh, the way I think about this is now everyone's aligned in terms of where we're going. So we're all moving forward together, which is a good thing, right? So we're in alignment. We understand what we're trying to do, how to work together. Uh, where we're going, how to produce value for our customer, things like that. So looks like everyone moving forward in the same way. 
And so as we get to performing then, as we get better and better at this stuff, we start thinking about, well, it's not just about individuals moving together forward, it's about how do we move together forward as a team. So it's not just a collection of individuals, we form a real team that's actually functioning well together. So it looks something more like this. They're all in it together, uh, really collaborating, right? And so in this model, in this picture, what's the role of the manager in this progression? So we try to help the team become more effective, go through forming, storming, norming, performing, trying to get to that really nice, high-performing team that's functioning well and just awesome, rocking it. What's the role of the manager there? Mostly support, coaching, okay. talking about roadblocks, yeah. meeting of resourcing. Yeah, yeah, so knocking down barriers, coaching them, right? So coming back to our model over here, right, we're trying to get away from more of the individualistic <laughs> behavior and get teams to be effective, right? The role of management has to shift uh, really to that supporting role, right? Managing outcomes, setting them up for success, creating an environment. So the manager is usually not inside the team, right? They're not there inside the team day to day. It's really a support function for the manager to really become uh, the person from outside who's helping people be successful, helping teams be successful, right? How do we make that shift? That's the question. So I see a lot of organizations as we think about the, the uh, progression here, management 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. A lot of times when we talk about this in our leadership classes, and we'll do sort of an informal poll and say, you know, where do you feel like your company is in this progression? And I hear a lot of like 1.5 to uh, not a lot of 3.0 yet in terms of overall management across the organization, right? And so if we're trying to help teams be successful, we really need to start shifting our mindset and how uh, we deal with teams, how we deal with work, and really getting the managers out of the work and really being a support function for the teams, being that more of a coach and mentor and setting them up for success, creating an environment where they can be successful. Okay. Make sense so far? All right, so all that context, to go to the back of your page. I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about, for management, how do we start going this direction? Right, so as we try to make this progression towards what we call management 3.0, being that more support function, rather than being the expert in doing the work, how do we get into more of a role of coach? Right, so I like the way Mike put that. So really being that more coach. And so what I want to do uh, is give you a few minutes here to think about what are some of the things that you might have going on right now that are habits that you have at work that we could think about. Maybe we're more on this end, maybe the management 1 or 2.0. How do we get to more of this 3.0 thinking to really enable teams to be successful? to really allow them to do all the hard work and work through this norming, forming, norming curve, but from a management perspective, how do we support them in doing that? And so, uh, I wanna think about some habits we might have. What is a habit? Yeah. Uh, like a go-to of something you do if you're uh, uncertain or nervous or whatever. Sure, go-to thing, so, yeah, default behavior. Yeah, okay, you also wanna add to that? Do it without thinking about it. Do it without thinking about it, yeah. I think I put a little definition on your page there, but um, so it says something like that, right? So things we do, routine things that we do, often without thinking. So default behavior, things we fall back on, right? And so I want you to think a little bit, take a few minutes for yourself, think about what are some habits you have at work that you might want to shift more towards this sort of mindset of management 3.0 and thinking there. And so just to give an example, you know, one I often point to, 
Um, so I was a developer uh, way back in the day, and you know, somewhat engineering-minded, and I love to solve problems. Man, give me a problem, and I love to dig into it, figure out all the pieces and parts, and work through it. That's a lot of fun. Uh, but it's not the right thing for me to do as a manager and leader. Uh, so I'm a CEO of our, our company at Project Brilliant. And the worst thing I can do is solve all the problems. <laughs> right? Why is that? Your staff grow. Staff will never grow. What else? Time away. Yep, taking my time away from the higher value stuff I could do, right? It's not sustainable. Not sustainable. Yeah, too much to do. Too much to do, yep. Yeah. So you, you become the key. Yeah, I become the linchpin for everything. And guess what happens? Next time there's a problem, everyone's gonna look to me to solve it again and again and again, and it's a vicious cycle, right? So for me, uh, that could be one thing I, I look at specifically. So uh, the example or scenario would be like when I'm in a meeting and a problem comes up, right? There's a natural inclination to say, problem, I need to solve it, right? That's just the default behavior. And so uh, as you go through this sheet, couple of questions for you to think through. So one, what is the habit? So that's how I describe it as, uh, hey, I'm in meetings and when the problem comes up, I'd like to solve it, right? Well, the impact of that, all the things we just described, right? It disempowers my people, um, you know, makes me the, the hero every time because the people look to me every time to solve it again. Uh, it's the lowest value thing I could probably do because there's a lot of other high value stuff I should be doing right, in terms of managing the company or other things. Um, and so I want to shift that behavior. So what should I do? Well, the behavior shift in that example uh, could be, well, I'm going to stop doing that, right? I'm going to stop jumping in and being the first one to speak when a problem comes up. Because my brain just works that way as a consultant. Oftentimes a problem comes up, I want to be there and just say, hey, I've got the answer, right? So a change in behavior for me could be to not be the first one to speak, right? In that meeting and say, what? I'm going to let two or three other people at least speak first and get their ideas out before I, I jump in and try to do some problem solving, right? So that could be a behavior change. And so what's the benefit of that? Well, the benefit of that is starts to really get other people the opportunity to get their ideas on the table, uh, gives them some empowerment, really helps them engage in conversations rather than just knowing that I'm gonna jump in and solve the problem, right? Things like that. So there's some, some real benefits I can point to there as to why I would wanna make that kind of change. Uh, but then lastly, the big thing that I find in, as we go through this, uh, is step five there on your page, which is how are you gonna remember to do that? It's nice to talk about it for a few minutes, but the next time it happens, how are you gonna remember to not do that? How are you gonna remember to change that behavior? And so there's a lot of different things you can do there. Uh, so I ask you to brainstorm that a little bit, but you know, one simple thing is if you're at home on Zoom, uh, I have post-it notes right next to my camera that of course you can't see on camera, but I can. Every time I look up at them, I can see that post-it note there that says, don't solve the problem. All right, or something like that. So, so that's one thing you can do to remind yourself to do it, or you know, wear a wristband, tie a string on your finger, or something like that, right? But want to remember, there, there's, or try to find yourself a reminder to change that behavior. And so, as we think about trying to really engage our employees, we want to think about some of these behavior changes that we can make as leaders to really nudge ourselves along this continuum more towards this management 3.0 concept uh, by changing some of those traditional behaviors we might have towards more. Uh, empowering and engaging behaviors to allow your people to step up. So I want to give you a few minutes here to, to think through what are your habits, uh, and then we're going to share it with your table. We'll share a few as a big group as well. All right. So let's take three, four minutes. Uh, so work through that on the back of your page there. There's just steps one, two, three, four, five. So what's the habit? What's the impact of that? Uh, what can you do to change it? What would that look like in terms of behavior change? Uh, and how are you going to follow through? So try to fill that in real quick. Three, four minutes, just try to identify something simple. Right? Uh, we
give you the right aid and he talked to his daughter. So go, you just, we didn't go, what are you? It's years. It's all about the day. And that, that, my friend, that, that. All right, that's time. That's time. Let's come back together. So hopefully we've got a chance at the table to share. I uh, would love to hear some of these uh, with the big group. So uh, who would like to be the first person to share with the group to sort of walk through uh, all five steps would be great. So uh, as little incentive, uh, I'm going to give away books for the first two people to share. So who'd like to be first? I go for it. All right, back right behind you. Getting up first. Um, okay, so uh, really loud so we can all hear it. Okay, so uh, number one, my habit is to freak out and set my dare on fire. Oh, dude, <laughs> <laughs> well, so what's it's off. I know what you're. So what's impact? Well, it stops or slows down progress. So the new behavior I'm proposing for myself is ask three questions about the situation and or propose three solutions to the situation. Benefit is to model constructive problem solving for others. And as a reminder, I could want to keep calm and carry on, stick around my monitor so that, uh, so that I see that before I set my gear on fire. Nice, all right, very good. Uh, and the prize is this book called The Age of Agile. Anyone read this book? One. All right. Uh, this is a book is, I don't know, five or so years old at least. Uh, previous COVID, of course, uh, but it's uh, a lot of church. Uh, it's a lot about uh, why organizations should go agile. It's not about how to do agile. It's about why would we think about doing agile in the first place. So good stuff. Uh, so thanks for sharing. Uh, Want to go next? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my habit is I... I tend to ask the negative connotation questions. You know, someone presents something and it's, well, did you think about this? Well, what about that? Did you find or dig into this component? Uh, so the impact of that is it projects a lot of negativity. <clears throat> Excuse me. Projects a lot of negativity around the team. It projects a lot of negativity in general. And the behavior is focused more on the positive side. It's, you know, rather than be the engineer and try and solve everything to 100%, it's focus more on positive side and reframe the questions as this is a great solution. We still have a little bit of to go rather than focus on that negative aspect first of, well, here's the things that we need to go and let's not look at the 90% of the amazing solution that we built. So the benefit is, is to build up the team, to build up that performance, make people more confident in presenting ideas and not be more timid of, well, I don't have that 100% solution, so I'm not going to talk about it yet. Yeah. So the reminder of that is, is really, again, to, to your point, it's really more just kind of visual notes of, you know, focus on the positive you know, don't try and solve the 100% solution, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's great. All right, awesome. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Uh, anyone else want to share? No more books, but it's always fun to hear. All right. 
we're getting close on time. So I just want to play off this last uh, comment as well. So you know, what, some of these things I imagine are, are the reason we're focusing on the stuff that's not working or not done, of course, is a bit of ingrained behavior. You know, stakeholders probably thinking that way, right? Hey, yeah, great, that stuff works. I expected that. But what about the part that doesn't work and really hammering you on that, right? And so one of the uh, maybe just extensions of that I would uh, think about for myself would be uh, not just with my team, but can I help stakeholders start seeing the positive side so that they're putting less pressure on my team as well. So if we try to really set the team up for success back here, uh, really getting them into more of an environment where they can be successful, it's not just me as a manager, but it's also the stakeholders and my peers, things like that. What can I do to influence them and make life better for our teams, right, uh, as we go through this? So last chance, anyone else want to share a habit? All right, no, but I want to ask questions. All right, yeah. Do you guys offer, like on your data, like a leadership of, above you? That doesn't necessarily have an appreciation for much beyond the culture of main phase. If God is expectation of an effort and retort, you know, out the den bang. He needs thought on our directions on trying to help that world. Yeah, so sort of managing up, it sounds like. Yeah. A bit, yeah, so. So what I find uh, is useful is to try to educate a little bit. So uh, that can be little things like, hey, here's a blog to read or, or an article, something like that, uh, to help people start thinking differently about not just the tactical, what did we get done today kind of stuff, but really thinking more towards <coughs> that outcome. Are you working on the right things? And, and start shifting that focus a bit. So that can be uh, a light nudge. Uh, could be just articles, books, you know, things like that might be useful. Uh, a video, right? Um, and so, for example, uh, if you hit the QR code on the back of that page, it'll go to my uh, website, which has some like very short, like three-minute videos on a few concepts. Uh, and so, I find those like bite-sized pieces can be really helpful. Of course, there's tons of stuff on YouTube uh, for other organizations as well. But that could be just a nice conversation starter, at least, or inviting them to a meeting or a lunch and learn or something like this, where they can come and just start getting different perspectives beyond just the "Hey, we're so busy doing work all the time." We're too busy to realize we're not doing the right works. And so it's some of those kind of conversations that could be really useful. So I find education is a good first step. Thank you. That's true. All right. Yeah, Mike. Here, one other comment to that is that if you're able to get any small wins of your own using these techniques, share them. You know, it's, that's another nudge. Add is to say, hey, we just had this great thing happen. We did this and this and this. It was only getting to call it out, but subtly just a little different than what we used to do, and here's what we got as an outcome. That sometimes can help nudge them along to something I'd use with you. That's a good point. That experience share. Yep. Yeah. That's great. Thanks, Mike. All right. Uh, we're probably close to time here. So we are. Yep. Okay. Aaron, right. how can they engage you? I mean, what's the typical engagement with your company look like if they want to go further? Yeah, sure. So on the, the sheet, you've got my contact information on the back. Uh, again, we do a lot of training classes, so those are all listed on our website uh, for Agile teams, Agile practitioners, and also Agile leaders. Um, and we also, of course, help with uh, coaching for organizations going through Agile transformation. So uh, that, along with, I've got a couple other speaking engagements coming up later today at noon with Jeff Tun on his uh, LinkedIn Live podcast. Uh, and then tomorrow, we have our own webinar for Project Brilliant talking about pitfalls of Agile transformation. So uh, projectbrilliant.com is a good way to find us. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.